Exodus chapter 33, beginning in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up, up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I will consume you. So now take off your ornaments, that I may know what to do with you. Therefore the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up, and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant, Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You, yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, and I in your people? Is it not in your going with us, so that we are distinct, and I in your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, This is very, this very thing that I have spoken, that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face you shall not see. You may be seated. I'm uh, so thankful for this team, and we sing truth every week. You know what we just sang, don't you? That's the gospel. You pay attention to the words, we just sang the gospel, right? We focus on Christ, we remember the gospel and what Christ has done for us, and then we just sang the gospel. So thankful for that. If, you, um, if you're here visiting with us, or maybe you're here and uh, you're here, part of our church family, and you don't know some of these songs, like, oh, I like that song, I'd like to hear that again, go to our website, go to our worship uh, tab, and it'll take you to a Spotify page, and you can see our, all the songs that we sing on Sunday morning. But, um, yeah, we just sang the gospel. What a wonderful, wonderful mystery that is that Jesus would die and be raised on the third day. I'm going to ask you if you're uh, second grade and under, you'd like to go to Children's Church, come on down and line up at the door. And maybe you're visiting with us if you have a, a, a young child, 
second grade and under, they like to go to children's church. You can come back with them and get them settled if you'd like. Come on down here, second grade and under, going to children's church this morning. Come on down here. All right. Turn in your Bibles back to Exodus chapter 33. Uh, Hunter read our teaching text this morning. We're walking through the book of Exodus. We're going to get through the whole chapter this morning. Exodus 33, there's a, a pastor I like to read his, his writings. His name is Bob Deffenbaugh, and he tells of a comic strip that he once saw. And it's kind of a spoof on army life. In the first frame of the comic strip, there's a, the mess sergeant informs the commander that they're all out of food with the exception of one item, and that's peanut butter. And so he's real fearful uh, of what the troops were going to do. Are they going to revolt, uh, that they only have one item on the menu? And the next frame, the commander, with a kind of a sneaky smile, tells the mess sergeant not to worry, that he's got it. And then the final frame, the cartoon strip, he shows three large kettles in the mess hall, and the first is labeled fried possum, and the second is labeled, labeled baked possum, and then the third is labeled, you guessed it, peanut butter, right? And, then, and, and it showed all the troops lined up happily, standing in line for the peanut butter, while the commander and the mess sergeant kind of stand there with a smirky uh, grin on their face. Well, the goodness of God may have seemed like that peanut butter to the Israelites. But after they understand the consequences of their sin with the golden calf and the result of their sin is this broken fellowship with God, they probably would line up and beg for restored relationship with God. And that's what we're going to see in our text today. We're, we're in Exodus. If, if you're uh, not familiar with the story, God has rescued his people, his chosen people from Israel through plagues and judgments and wonders, and he brings them through the Red Sea. He brings them towards the Promised Land. As they're traveling towards the Promised Land, they stop at Mount Sinai, and it's a, about an 11-month period of time that they're receiving the law from the Lord, and that's where they've been. And Moses has been up on the mountain, and when he comes back down the mountain, he hears a, a commotion, and it's the Israelites who have seen God do all these wonderful works on their behalf, seeing them worshiping and reveling in this atmosphere of, of calf worship. And the calf is made by none other than Aaron himself. And as a result, God has threatened to wipe out the entire nation and to give the covenant promises to Moses. It's like we're going to start with Moses all over again, just like he did with Noah. But when Moses sees what's going on, he comes down the mountain, he, break, he takes the, the, the tablet with the commandments on it, he breaks them, he takes the golden calf. You remember what he does? Kids, remember what he did? What did he do with the golden calf? You remember? Cars from last week, he ground it up, he put it in the water, and he made them drink it. And then he rebukes Aaron and he calls on the faithful ones to come to his side and the Levites come and he sends them out and he strikes down 3,000 Israelites who don't want to follow the Lord. And these actions of Moses and the Levites seem to have prevented God from immediately destroying the entire nation. 
But what God does is he assures Moses that each person would have to bear the death penalty for their sin. And I would assume that that comes at a later time when they were dying in the wilderness because of their lack of trust in the Lord. Look at verse 1 of, of chapter 33. Notice God didn't say, you and the people whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. Instead, the Lord says in verse 1, whom you brought out, speaking to Moses, you brought up out of the land of Egypt. See, fellowship has indeed been broken. And so the first thing we see from our text is that repentance is the remedy for broken fellowship with God. See, there'd be no covenant renewal. We're actually going to see that in chapter 34. There's going to be no covenant renewal. There's going to be no restored fellowship without repentance. Israel had a lot uh, to learn about repentance, and so do we. See, repentance and faith are inseparable graces. And we, when we rebel against the Lord, repentance and faith are the only remedies. We see the people receiving the news that God wouldn't go with them as they left Sinai, headed for the promised land. And in verse 4, it says it was a disastrous word. It crushed them. And they mourned, and it said they didn't put on their ornaments. Now think about this. When they left Egypt, do you remember they left Egypt, this wealthy nation, the most wealthy nation in the world, and they're slaves. And when they leave there, do you remember they had looted the nation? So they had all this jewelry. And they wore the jewelry, and they looked like the Egyptians. And not only did they look like the Egyptians, but in the chapter we preceding this one, we see them acting like the Egyptians, right? Worshiping false gods. But notice it says that they didn't put the ornaments back on. Look at verse 6. Therefore the people of Israel stripped themselves of the ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. In other words, we don't want to have anything to do with that look anymore. They're trying to put that in the rearview mirror. It's like they're wearing black, right? They're in a time of mourning, a time of grieving. They didn't put the ornaments back on. Verse 7 to 11, Moses would go to this tent of meeting. Now this is before the construction of the tabernacle. Now Moses on the mountain has received instruction about how to build the tabernacle. Right, That's where God's going to dwell with his people. It's going to be a mobile tabernacle right? because they're, they're nomadic. right? They're moving towards the promised land. But they haven't constructed the tabernacle yet. That's going to come later. So he has this thing called the tent of meeting where he would go outside the camp and where he would meet with the Lord. And when he did that, look at verse 7 through 11, the people would all stand at the door of their own tents and worship. And it says God and Moses would speak face to face. Now this is a, a, a conversational encounter because we're going to see later that yeah, God wouldn't allow people to see them face to face. But they're having conversation. Fellowshiped and taught with the Lord and the Lord taught with Moses. And there, were the, uh, there was a pillar of cloud which was a physical manifestation of God's presence. And so when they would see this, this cloud come down and, and, and Moses going into the tent, they would get at their entrance in their own tents, and they would worship the Lord. So you see this, it's in this penitent heart, not putting on the ornaments, worshiping 
the Lord as Moses goes to worship. See, they're showing this willingness to obey. They understand that they can't be satisfied apart from the Lord's presence. I think what's, what's happening here is this is the beginning signs of repentance. It's, it's like in Luke chapter 3, John the Baptist speaking to the Pharisees. He tells them to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, don't just say you're going to repent. Show it by the way you live your life, by the way you act, by contrite heart, a humble spirit, an obedient heart. And really, repentance is, is just this. You're seeing God for who He is. You're seeing God rightly. And what, what happens when we see God rightly, we, we see ourselves rightly. And then what do we do? We see ourselves rightly, and then we turn from living like we've been living, and we turn in, in, in faith and obedience to God. I mean, think about what the, the Israelites had seen. They had seen God's glory. He's delivered them from Egypt. He provided water and food for them miraculously, day in and day out. They had been delivered from the Amalekites, and they had heard the voice of the Lord as the Ten Commandments are, are spoken by the Lord. And, and they had agreed. All of this might, all these miracles, all this deliverance, manifestations of, of God's power. And what did they say when, when, they, when they received the Ten Commandments? They said, hey, we're going to obey these things. We won't obey the law. Yeah, God, I, this is your law, and we, yeah, we should do it, and we want to. But they had forgotten them, hadn't they? Real quickly. Moses was on the mountain 40 days. And they had quickly began to misunderstand God. They looked at their circumstances. They, where's Moses? I don't know where he is. What are we going to do? They, they began to quickly think wrongly about God. You ever do that? Circumstances don't go well, and all of a sudden you think, well, God is treating me rightly. God's holding back, or I don't deserve this. You ever do that? That's what the, what the Israelites were doing. So much so that they asked Aaron to, to, to fashion, to make this idol for them. And as a result, the Levites struck down 3,000 Israelites and God sent a plague upon the people and and the worst consequence of this is God said he's not going with them to the promised land their fellowship is broken when you think about it how are they able to James how do they get out of Egypt how do they how do they loosen themselves from Pharaoh's grass they're the slave labor force doing all of his work how do they escape all the plagues? How do they get through the Red Sea? How do they survive the desert? The Amalekites, all of these things. It's because God was with them. Amen. Think about David. You think about David and being this great king. Why was he such a great king? He was, he was the undefeated champion of kings in his day. Never lost a battle. Why? Because he was good with a slingshot? Because he was sharp and smart and wise? No, because God was with them. So they heard this disastrous word. They were crushed. And they see Moses in this manifestation of the presence of God, and it jarred them to their senses. They have a perspective change. 
the peanut butter that once looked stale all of a sudden seems appetizing, right? As the bodies of 3,000 are laid to rest and the plague comes upon them and the realization that they're on their own, right? God says, I'm not going with you. And we see a penitent heart, repentance. We don't see that word used here, but that's what, that's what you see. A change of heart, a change of attitude, a change of action, a life change for the people of Israel. It appears that in a moment of sanity, of clarity, this nation once again comes to their senses and they knew once again that they needed God most of all. Repentance is the remedy for broken fellowship with the Lord. The second thing we see here is Moses praying. He prays for God's presence to be with him. And he's going to pray for three things, make three petitions to the Lord in our text today. Verse 1 through 3, we see um, that this nation is, is going to continue on their journey to the promised land. But he says, I won't go with you. But an angel's going to go. An angel. So for us, if we had a, you know, an angel's going to help us with a gas, that's awesome. Neat. Moses goes, Angel? Angel? I don't want an angel. God, I want you. Will you go with me? You want me to do all these things? You want me to lead this people? They're stiff necked, rebellious. God, I need you. Moses wasn't satisfied with an angel, so he prayed to the Lord. Look at verse 12 and 13. You say that I'm supposed to bring this people up, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. In other words, he's, he's are you going to go with me? You want me to do this? Am I on my own? Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now therefore, if I found favor in your sight, please show me your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. In other words, he's saying, hey, you said I found favor in you. If, if I found favor in you, you need to help me. Please help me, Lord. I can't do this without you. I can't do it without you. And it's, it's interesting, Jesus prays something similar in, in the high priestly prayer in John 17, 1, the, this high priestly prayer. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. And this is a time right before he's, I mean, he's there in the garden, right? He's laboring and sweating drops of blood and he's agonizing over this time that he's going to be separated from the Father. And he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. I think Moses is saying something similarly. So God assures him in verse 14 that he's going to accompany him on this journey. And, and it, notice he says he'll give him rest. And we're going to come back to that in a moment. But he says, yeah, I'm going to go with you. But Moses is still not satisfied. And so the third thing we see is Moses prays for God's presence to be with the nation as well. Moses says, yeah, I'm going to be with you. And Moses says, well, yeah. But he petitions the Lord again asking, what about the nation? What about the rest of the people? Are they not his special, distinct 
people because you've been with them all along? I mean, God is what makes the nation distinct. What makes Israel special? They're God's chosen people. Is it because of the land that they own? No, at this point in time, they own no land. They're nomadic. They're slaves for 400 years in Egypt, and they're traveling to a land that God's going to give them. They don't have a home. They don't have a land. What makes them so special and distinct and wonderful is God's presence. Verse 16, For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? Notice, your people is mentioned several times. Moses, yeah, you're saying you're going to go with me. What about the, the nation? What about the people? Are you going to be with them? Look at verse 17. And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do. Why? For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. It's interesting, God never turns a deaf ear to his mediator when he prays for his people. We see it time and time and time again, Moses interceding for this people. Moses, the mediator, has found favor in the sight of the Lord. And because he has, God listens to him and gives Moses what he asks of the Father on the nation's behalf. They really didn't know what they had in Moses, did they? Moses, their mediator. So God says, yes, I'm going to go with the people. And then lastly, Moses prays to know God more. He prays a third thing. Look at verse 18. Moses says, please show me your glory. Now, he wasn't wanting, hey, he wouldn't want a fireworks show. He wasn't wanting shock and awe. He wouldn't say, I just want to see something neat. When he says, show me your glory, what's he, what's he asking for? God, I want you. I want to know you. I want to know you more. I want to see you and know you and hear you more and more. He had an appetite. He's meeting with, meeting with the Lord at the tent of meeting, conversing with God. He said, I want to know you more. I mean, he spent 40 days on the mountain receiving the Lord the law from the Lord and he's going to the tent of meeting reminds me of Psalm 42 the psalmist Psalm 42 verse 1 is a deer pants for flowing streams so pants my soul for you that's Moses like a Psalm 63 is like in a parched land when you're really thirsty and you just hadn't had a drink and you just need a drink so bad and you get that drink, oh, it just satisfies you. Oh, that's what the Lord's going to do. Lord, I just want to know you. I want to be satisfied with you. Psalm 73, verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. That's Moses. I just want to know you, God. Show me your glory. And Moses, what is, he receives an answer, doesn't he? He received a yes and a no. Yes, you can see a glimpse of my glory, but no, you can't see me face to face. Well, I, I thought he said he's, he just met with him face to face. Again, that's a conversational thing. And now he's asking to see his glory, and God says, you can, you can get a glimpse of me. And so he puts him there in the 
place, cleft of the rock, and he, we'll see next week how he passes by and Moses is able to see his back. But Moses is hungry, isn't he? He's hungry for the Lord, for fellowship, to know God. Moses knew that without the Lord, he couldn't accomplish all the Lord wanted for him. He wanted to know God so he could obey him. Is that you? Is that me today? Is the cry of our heart just to know God? Isn't it interesting? We, we want a lot of the blessings from the Lord. We want joy. We want peace. We want blessings of life, prosperity. But we don't always want God. Because what does God do? Sometimes he convicts. Sometimes he intrudes. Sometimes he points out our faults. I want the joy. I want the blessing. I want the... But I don't necessarily want the fellowship, right? What about you? What about me? Are we hungry for the Lord? Are we hungry for the Lord? Is the psalmist in Psalm 63, is that our cry? Do we recognize and understand that only God can meet our every need? Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water, I just thirst for you. I want to know you, Lord, above all things. I make money. I have a family. Everything's going well. I want to know you. My family's struggling. I, I'm having financial hardships. I just want to know you. I'm healthy and things are going really well at work. I want to know you. I'm sick. I have a bad diagnosis. I want to know you. Is that your cry? I want to know you. I want to know you, Lord. I want to know you. So by way of application, that's a question we all need to ask and answer. Do I want to know you as a psalmist, as Moses wanted to know the Father as Jesus the Son related to the Father do we want intimacy do we want companionship do we want fellowship in a way that even intrudes upon our lives that prods us and convicts us that brings joy but also sorrow because of our sin. Do we want to know the Lord? That's question number one. Look at our lives. Look at my life. How much of my time was seeking the Lord? My mental. All the efforts that took place in my mind, the things I was thinking about and meditating on and things that consumed my thoughts. Was it, Lord, I want to know you. I'm drawing near to the Lord. Or is it so many other things? How'd you spend your time this week? And that'll shed some light on how, what we want in life. What do we spend our time doing and thinking about and spending money on? Do we really want to know the Lord? Do we hunger and thirst for Him? I think second thing we need to think about repentance. It's the only solution to a, a broken relationship with God. It's the only solution to a broken fellowship. There's a Calvin talks about there's not just 
yeah, if you're not a believer, if you've yet to bow the knee to Christ, if you've never, if you've never seen your sin the way God sees it, you've never seen God in his glory and you never des- desired to turn from your sin, yeah, you need to repent. You need to turn from your sin and you need to trust Christ's work on the cross as your own. That's a first-time repentance. You need to do that. If you've never repented, you need to do that today. You need to, and we call that becoming a Christian, becoming a follower of Jesus. We call it being born again, being saved. There's a lot of ways to describe that, but you need to do that today if you've never repented. But there's also a, a broken fellowship. Maybe you've repented and you've trusted Christ. You say, I know I'm born again. I know if I stood before the Lord and he said, why should I let you in heaven? He said, well, you shouldn't. Only Jesus died for my sin. That's the only way I can know you because of what Christ has done for me. If you've repented already, but maybe there's fellowship. Maybe your relationship with the Lord's a little dry. Maybe you've been kind of wayward in your thoughts and in your actions and you're just kind of going through life and you hadn't been seeking the Lord. You hadn't been seeking the Lord. You haven't been drawn near the Lord. You, hadn't, you don't have the Moses mentality of wanting to see the Lord's glory. Well, we need to repent. The remedy for broken fellowship is repentance. And it's not just something we do once or twice. It's, as Calvin calls it, a race of repentance. It's something we do. We keep short accounts and we just live our life Repenting. And we do that on Sunday morning, right? We sit before the Lord and we have a confession time and a repentance time. And what we're doing here is just trying to get us in a habit of doing that more and more. It's something we do every day as a Christian. Well, I think I sinned once today. I think I might have sinned once or twice today. No, you sinned a lot more than that. You just don't know it. We need to repent. Live a life of repentance. Thirdly, just thinking about Israel and they're blessed because of this mediator, Moses. Moses found favor in God's sight and so he mediates for the people. And our salvation and God's abiding presence in our life is a result of our mediator, Jesus. And we, we've said this over and over again. We keep going back to the book of Hebrews. But Jesus is such a better mediator than Moses. The son found favor with the father. God the father was pleased with his son. We see that as a baptism. Matthew chapter 3, verse 17. The father spoke these words. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And the father confirmed his pleasure in the son by raising him from the dead. Jesus is our mediator. And because Moses was the mediator of, of Israel, God told Moses, I'm going to give you rest. He's going to give his people rest. But think about Rest and our mediator, Christ, is our mediator. And because of that, we can have rest. And Jesus preached about this in Matthew chapter 11. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So uh, another question, come back to, to, we have two groups of people here. One group is people who are repentant, who are, have repented, and they need to be repenting. It's the church, believers. But there's another group, maybe that's never repented. You're not a part of the church. Really, we, we're going to take the Lord's Supper, and either you, should, you didn't take it or you shouldn't have taken it because you're not a believer. But my question for you, that second group, for those of you that haven't repented, is Jesus wants to be your mediator. Can he be your mediator today? Have you found rest in Christ by yielding to him in repentance and faith? I'm going to ask 